Welcome again, everyone. It's so good to be here with you for our online services for Pomerado Christian Church. Uh, so welcome. Thank you for joining us. For uh, I want to thank Anne Hansen for welcoming us from Lake of the Ozarks. It's just it's so cool to me to think how uh, people are able to watch and across the country and be part of our service as it's happening, um, rather than trying to just watch it online later. So uh, it's so great to see you, Anne. Thank you for uh, welcoming us here, and thank you, Susie, for leading us in worship. Great job as always. Now my name is JP. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's such an honor uh, to be the pastor here at this church, be part of this great church, and. Um, I just want to, if you're new, maybe this is your first time you clicked a link, you got invited here, and so thank you. We, we honor you. We're, we're grateful you spent some time with us this morning. And I want to encourage you that on the top of the screen, you're going to see some tabs, one of which is going to say connect. And that's a way for you to be able to um, maybe let us know a little bit about you, how we could come alongside you in your journey, find out more about the church. Um, but you can also click around the website and find out uh, more about us there as well. And for all of us, uh, we are here and we are continuing our book uh, series to the book of Colossians called Lessons from House Arrest, recognizing that Paul, while he was in Rome, in prison, but in, on house arrest, he wrote a letter to the Colossians and um, had some incredible lessons that are incredibly um, meaningful and applicable to us today as we are maybe not in house arrest, but we've been sheltered in place and quarantined uh, for quite a while now. And so will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive in and see what God has for us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this day. And I thank you that this is a day you've made. Lord, you re we rejoice and are glad in that. I thank you for each and every person who hears my voice right now. I pray that they would um, see or experience something that reveals them what you wanted them to learn today. And I pray that if nothing else from the sermon, if they learn how much you love them, Lord, then this is a good day that we rejoice and are glad in. I pray as we dive into your word that I would decrease and that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, um, and so specifically our sermon title today is called Why We Do What We Do, and it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, so you could go ahead and turn there if you like, um, and as you do, I just want to mention how when we think about this idea of why we do what we do, there's kind of two sides of the same coin. On, on one side is why do we do the things that we know we shouldn't do, right? And that's an example of when my girls, and uh, when they kind of tease one another and kind of needle and, and poke and prod one another and then you know, inevitably one of them does something that the other one really doesn't like and the other one gets mad. And then we ask the first one, why did you do, why did, why did you do that? Sometimes it's, I don't know, sometimes like I was upset, I was, I was angry, or sometimes it's just a shrug like a hmm, which is not very satisfying of an answer. But you know, there are times when we ask, why do we do what we shouldn't do? But that's not what we're gonna focus on today. Today we wanna turn the coin a little bit and say, why do we do the good things that we do? And, and what is it about our, the reason why we do stuff and how impactful that is? When I went to India for a missions trip in 2005, uh, we got to, um, we were there for a month in the, in the city of Calcutta, and then we moved to a couple other places throughout the month, but we spent two weeks in Calcutta. And while we were there, we got to um, serve in the missionaries of charity homes that Mother Teresa started. We got to um, care for people that were um, the poorest of the poor, and we had the opportunity to serve them and, and come alongside them. 
Um, and we actually had the opportunity to, to meet other people who were serving and coming alongside people of the poorest of the poor um, as well. And as we did that, you know, we met other short missions trip teams, uh, one specifically from Canada that I remember. But we also met people who moved there because they just wanted their lives to be about serving these people, which is so incredible. And that was a really good thing that we met people who were doing that. But it was interesting is how we met people who had different whys, different reasons for why they were doing what they were doing. That there were some that uh, were doing that because they loved Jesus and they wanted to serve, but to know that we didn't come as those who are to be served, but those who are serving, who do the serving, as Jesus said. And so they want to serve and they want to dedicate their life to that and wanted to serve in a place that needed it. Um, but there were other people who came who wanted to serve and had maybe all the same reasons of wanting to serve, wanting to care for people, but they didn't have a relationship with God. So their why, the reason why, wasn't driven by faith or spreading the love of God. It was by doing good things, which, to be clear, is great. We need people to be able to do good things and we need more serving and putting others above ourselves and more compassion. We need that in the world. So by no means am I trying to... Um, besmirch or downplay what those people did to come and to move and to dedicate their lives to that. It's incredible. But there is a difference that defines people who are serving to do good things and those who are serving because we have a good God and we're spreading the love of God. The why can be different. And I think all of us, we have some things that we do and we wonder, why do we do what we do? Um, Maybe they're bad things, we wonder that, but the focus of our sermon is why do we do the good things that we do? Why do we do the things as Christians that we do? And so we're going to take some time through Colossians 3, chapter, uh, verses 12 through 17, to look at that together. And our main point for today is, says this, that what we do describes us. How we do it distinguishes us, but why we do it defines us. I know there's a lot of fill-ins there more than usual, so I'll read it again. Uh, the sermon notes are available on the top of your page as well if you're interested. What we do describes us, how we do it distinguishes us, but why we do it defines us. And we're going to walk through that together through this passage. So the first one of those we're going to look at as we look through verses 12 through 14 is the how. What distinguishes us as Christians? Excuse me. Yeah, the how. What distinguishes us as Christians? And so to, in order to kind of start that conversation, I'm going to read from uh, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so I'm going to, you're going to notice in the notes that there's not as many fill-ins as usual. Um, it's more, you know, some empty space and then a graph on the bottom. And we'll get to that graph in a little bit. But I'm going to go through some of these words right now. And you can just write down really briefly. I'm going to go through them rather quickly because each one of these virtues mentioned in verse 12 through 14, each one of those could be um, their own sermons. And this whole section could be its own series. And so I'm going to go through it briefly, but at least give us a little bit of some context with some of these things. So the first thing it says that we're to clothe ourselves with is compassion. So compassion is this idea of and passion talks about strong emotion. Compassion means like coming alongside. So, you know, community, this C-O-M is like this, this prefix that talks about coming together. It talks about with someone. So compassion is the idea of having passion with one another um, and feeling what they're feeling and that great strength of their feeling. And what we talk about here is this idea that 
um, the actual word talks about like the bowels of compassion. So it, it more directs to the gut, right? Like sometimes we just are hurt to the gut. Like we're just, oh, we just feel it in our gut um, when we're feeling the pain of someone. Now, in our language, in our culture, when we talk about strong emotions, we typically refer to the heart. And so it might be a similar idea would be having being so compassionate that you're feeling heart sick, that it hurts your heart to see someone else or to hear what people are going through or, or to know that your friend or family member is struggling. It's, it's we're feeling it so strongly, it's in our heart or in the Greek, it's the bowels of compassion. It's, it's in the center because that's where they had the seat of their emotions was their gut. We have ours, we talk about it in our heart. And so as an example, it's in light of all the, the unrest that's been going on, in light of hearing about um, all the cries from black people within our country, that black lives matter, that, that they wanna be able to be able to not have fear when they're doing certain things or going certain places. And, and it's something where admittedly and ashamedly, I honestly just ha hadn't been as aware of. And I think as hard as it is to admit, sometimes just admitting that we don't know what we don't know is a fir good first step to be able to learn more and to grow in what we do know. And so Steph started reading a couple books this week and she and I have had some good dialogues at night just being unaware of the difficulties, the struggles, the prejudices that have been experienced um, by so many um, people um, of color. And so the reason I mention that is because you start to hear these stories and it starts to make your heart sick. It starts to hurt your heart. In this language, it, it starts to have those bowels of compassion, those bowels of mis, um, excuse me, mercy that just hurt so bad when we think about how many people are hurting and, and how painful that experience is. And so the compassion is to be able to feel deeply with what someone else is feeling. We also can clothe ourselves with kindness. And there's two different words for kindness in the Greek. One of the words is this idea of a kindness that is reflecting within a sternness. So it's almost this idea of a parent giving a child tough love, that disciplining them, but knowing that in the discipline, it's truly a kindness to discipline now so that they can learn, so children can learn lessons to help them grow and, and to um, be better later. Or maybe it's a coach who's telling an athlete or a teacher who's loving a student but doing it in a way that's stern in order to call them up to the level that they need to be. However, this verb, or excuse me, this verbiage, this language for kindness is not the sternness one. This one goes to the idea of gentleness and it goes to that which would be profitable for the recipient of the kindness. So this is probably the one we more typically think of when you think of like acts of random kindness are acts in which we're able to just do something that would profit someone else and to do a good deed. And so that's the kind of kindness we're to clothe ourselves with, to find ways to, be, uh, to do acts of kindness to those around us. The next word, humility. Uh, humility specifically talks about humbleness of mind. So it's about our attitudes and how we see things. That when we think of humility, it's often if someone says, oh, you did a great job. If someone were to say, thank you, I appreciate that, you almost think, oh, are they being prideful? Like we have this warped idea, this misguided idea that humility is putting ourselves down. It's thinking less of ourselves, as C.S. Lewis says. But the rest of his quotation is that Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not about downgrading who we are, but it's about elevating those around us and putting their needs above our own. We see this beautifully in Jesus because when he, we talks about how he had such great humility. Paul talks about how that we should consider, uh, do not give into selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others above yourselves. And then he says, therefore you have the same attitude as Christ Jesus 
who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be snatched. But he made himself nothing, taking the very appearance of a man. And being found in human likeness, he made himself obedient even to death and death on a cross. Philippians 2, give or take 3 through 8 is that section there. See, when Jesus was on earth, he had incredible humility. But what he didn't do is if someone said, you're the son of God, he didn't say, no, I'm not really the son of God. Like, that's so nice of you to say that. He didn't, but you know, I'm just a good teacher. Like, he didn't put himself down and downgrade who he was. What he did in humility is he thought of other people first and he put their needs above his own and he elevated where they were so he thought he didn't think less of himself he was god fully god fully man he couldn't think less of himself because of how good he is but it means that he thought of others first and that's how we ought to be we used to have the mindset the humbleness of mind to put others needs above our own and in so doing being like christ in his own humility the next word we see is gentleness and gentleness can also be translated um, as meekness and so uh, an example of this that Warren Wearsby describes is, you know, meekness, we think it correlates to weakness. I don't know if it's because it rhymes or it just seems similar, but meekness is not weakness. As Warren Wearsby talks about, meekness is power under control. That's someone who has power, but doesn't just lord that power over everyone and come and say, again, I'm here to be served, not to serve. No, no, no. It's someone who's meek, who has power, but serves the other. And so he uses the example that this word could be used when it comes to a soothing wind, a, a healing medicine, or a colt, a, a horse that has been broken. He uses this example because winds have great power, but a soothing wind has, that power has been controlled, so it's a gentle breeze that's calming rather than one that can ravish homes and ravish crops and destroy things. It's also this idea of a, a healing medicine that too much medication or the wrong medication can have dangerous side effects even leading up to death. But a healing medicine is a great power that is used properly and that is able to help and heal in the way it's meant to. A colt that has been broken. Colt has such speed and power um, in its muscles, but a, a colt that has been broken is one that that power, instead of being wild and raging, is a power that is um, able to be harnessed, to be used so it's not harmful, it's harnessed instead. So meekness is this idea of power coming under control. It's a picture of me as a dad when I pick up my daughters for the very first time. They're so tiny and they're so little, like they're like, you know, this big and they can crawl up into you. And there's great strength as a dad and a, and a mom, as a parent, you have great strength. And you know that if you misuse that strength, if you squeeze too tight, it could cause them to cry or whatever. It's, it's power, you have the power, but it's under control and it's calm and it's soothing and it's harnessed so it's not to cause harm. So we see this idea of gentleness. Then we see patience. Patience is this idea of long suffering or more specifically, this idea of a long tempered. So we hear about people who are short tempered, right? That there's a short fuse and you light it. And before you even know it, there's an explosion of anger or frustration or ver like verbiage and whatever it is. And so there's a short temper, but, but patience is this idea of a long temper that someone may light the fuse, but because of what Christ has done in your life, you have such patience that you're able to kind of withstand that and be patient with them and to be long-suffering or long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. The Warren Wearsby also talks about how there are times when it's right to get angry. Uh, and, and we know that. Um, and we see when people have been hurt and, and 
um, taken advantage of and um, all these things that we're seeing that people get angry. Now, anger in of itself isn't a sin, but it says in your anger, do not sin. Jesus got angry. We talked about last week, he threw the tables right in the temple. So anger in itself is in a sin, but what the trick is, is that we cannot or should not be angry, um, as Warren Wiersbe says, quickly at the wrong things or for the wrong reasons. So it's okay to get angry, but not if it's quickly a short temper, not if it's at the wrong things, or should I even say the wrong people when we lash out at those closest to us that we love, when it's not their fault, but we lash out at the wrong things or for the wrong reasons. Maybe we can lash out about something or be angry about something for the right things, but the reason we're angry is because it's self-focused or it's only about us. I mean, we need to be patient and long-tempered, not to get angry quickly at the wrong reasons or wrong people and for the wrong things. And so we continue on verse 13, talks about this idea of bearing with each other and forgiving one another, that if any of has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, that we are, ought to bear with one another, that there bears this idea of holding up or holding back, that we, we bear a burden to hold back the weight of that burden upon someone else's shoulder, that when someone is difficult, that we, we hold back frustration we may have in order to love them tenderly in, in, Christ, uh, in the way that Christ would, speaking the truth in love. But then we also forgive one another, that forgiveness is not an option as a Christian, that C.S. Lewis says it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. See, in order for us to be Christians, we have to recognize that the grievances we have against one another, that Christ has forgiven us through the horrible death he, so he suffered, and through his resurrection, when we confess those sins to him, we confess him as Lord, we give our lives to him, then he forgives us of those sins and our, we are washed clean. We are made whole. We are brand new. So we need to forgive one another with that same level of forgiveness. And for some of you, that means this week, that it means making a really hard phone call. Either a phone call to ask for forgiveness to someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Maybe it's a phone call to offer forgiveness um, that, you, that you've been holding on to something and, and, a, and a pain for so long that you need to offer that forgiveness, not, not just to, to say that what the other person did was right or okay, but because when we, as I've shared before, another pastor said it before, that when we don't forgive or we hold on to bitterness, it's like we are drinking the poison and we're waiting for the other person to die. That some of you, forgiveness has to be something that, that you're not even able to do with somebody because that person whom you need to forgive has passed away or is unable to be reached. And so then there's this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is the hope, right? Where two sides forgive one another, they offer that forgiveness, and the relationship has been reconciled. It has been brought back together and made whole again. But there are circumstances in which that cannot happen. Again, maybe because of the person we need to forgive is, is passed away. And so now what do we do? Do we just hold on to bitterness because we can't reconcile? No. We, we have to forgive and we have to release that forgiveness because it's knotting up and it's poisonous inside our souls. And we need to ask God to remember how much he's forgiven us so that we too can forgive someone and those who've hurt us. So we're not drinking the poison waiting for the other person to die. We're getting rid of that poison and we have the antidote of Christ's love and forgiveness to heal us from that. So 
The last thing in verse 14 as we look at how and what distinguishes us is that we put on love, which binds them all, all these virtues together in perfect unity. So being able to mention last week that we need to put off the old self. Verse 10 of Colossians 3 talks about putting away the old self and putting on the new self, which is being renewed. And so we need to put on this new self. So the way that we used to live, the way that we used to speak, the way that we used to do things, we are distinguished from that when we are in Christ now. Because the old is gone, the new has come, we are new creations. That a butterfly has no more use for its cocoon, for its chrysalis, because it's a new creation. It doesn't have use for it anymore. In the same way, we do not have use for our old way and the way instead of love of selfishness or self-aggrandizement or whatever it may be that that is not love that would cause to create disunity and not bind together all these virtues we need to put away the old self and last week that's what we talked about that our lives are determined by what we live for and what we die to well last week is what we die to this week we want to focus on what we live for but the point remains we need to put on love and get rid of our old lives and when I went to Haiti uh, in 2013, um, I went and we went to the island of Tortuga. And so you've heard of that before. Uh, I remember hearing about it when I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean. And whatever it is that you think of when you think of the, the island of Tortuga from movies or you've heard it before, just don't just get rid of that mindset because that's not what it is. It's just a small island and people were living there. We we're playing with the kids and having fun. And I uh, got into this moment where I was playing in the sand with them and I was pretending to like do karate, I don't know, they thought it was funny, I thought it was funny, it worked. But I remember I was just covered in sand and we went back um, to the, the mission where we were staying. And as we were there, um, I remember that we, uh, you know, I, I was trying to get, like I was all dirty and trying to like get cleaned off, but I noticed that after we got clean, that I had all these bites everywhere. And I had 109 bites from like sand fleas, sand bugs. 109, which is crazy. And so I counted them because it was so much, it was so discomforting or uncomfortable. And so I share that because could you imagine, I had just been, I was in sand, I got dirty, I have all these marks of all these um, bites from my old life or from what I had done before. And then if I were to get washed and clean, imagine how ridiculous it would be if I just went back and got my same swim trunk that had all the sand fleas in it or got the same, um, the same shirt that I wore, it would make no sense, right? Why would I put on the old clothes when I've already been cleaned? Why would a butterfly go back to the cocoon? Why would we, when we are in a new relationship with Christ, when the new has come and the old has gone, why would we go back to the old self? So instead, every day, may we put on love like a garment. May we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another, forgiving one another, because love is what binds all of that together. Love is what allows that, and not just any love, but the love that God has for us, that agape love, is the kind of love that binds us together, binds those virtues together, and allows us to be examples for Christ in a way that transforms the world. So, we need to put on love every single day. And so I've taken the first few moments, or several moments, I should say, to look at you know, the how, what distinguishes us. But what I really wanna focus, or the next step, rather, is what, what describes us? Like, what is it that Christians do? We say, why do we do what we do? So what is it that we do? What are the things that describe certain activities that Christians do and how they live? Verse 13 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what are some of the things, again, I'm just going to go through quickly, but just looking at these verses, what are some of the things that we do that describes actions or ways that, um, that we live? One of them is verse uh, 15 talks about is we let peace rule in our hearts. We are not known as people of anger or strife or discord. We are known for people uh, as being people of peace. That the word rule there, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule is kind of is more the idea of an umpire. It's the idea of, of someone who is uh, refereeing or umpiring, presiding over a game and disperses the prizes to the different people based on how they win. So uh, if you follow sports as much as I do, you know that uh, following sports and having umpires does not always equate peace. Like there are times in which uh, you get really frustrated with a call or it's unfair, whatever it is. But, but in general, the idea of an umpire is someone who's to make sure the game doesn't get out of hand, doesn't make sure that there, uh, it, goes, it gets crazy or, or you know, there's huge fights or anything. It's to make sure the game is able to move forward. And so whenever we are in conflict with one another, it may not be a team playing another team kind of conflict, but when we are in conflict with one another, then we need to let peace be the umpire. We need to let peace, in the good sense of the term, right? We need to let peace be able to rule over us and say, okay, here's the dispute. Peace is what's going to bridge the gap. We need to make a way where there's no way. We need to be peacemakers who go into conflict and bring peace where there was no peace. So we need to let peace umpire our hearts, rule our hearts. But we also choose, we let, choose to let peace rule us. We also choose to be thankful. And it's only three words in verse 13, or 15, excuse me, but it says, and be thankful. But that's huge that we are grateful for what we have, not greedy for what we don't have. We are content for what God has given us, not in contempt because we don't have what we want. That we are thankful for who God is and what he's done and the life that he's given us. Even when things are hard, we can still be thankful. In fact, Philippians 4 talks about that we can bring our requests and present our requests to God in, with thanksgiving and that he'll be able to um, give us peace that surpasses all understanding. We also choose to let, as verse 16 says, we choose to let the message of Christ dwell in us. The gospel of who Christ is, that he lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was raised to new life so we may have eternal life and to live as he lived is the example of the gospel. And we're encouraged and invited into a right relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And so being able to let that dwell within us, that the message of God, or the gospel, isn't something that goes in one ear and out the other. It's not cursory, just we, we just think about it once on a Sunday. It dwells with us. It builds a tent in our lives. It resides in us so clearly and fully that it defines and identifies who we are, that we are people who've been changed by God to make a change in this world. And it's so that means that it's because the gospel has dwelt within us. We also see that people are, that we are to teach one another through the message of Christ and also to be admonished. So we are to be, we are to teach and to be taught. We're to be open and teachable and as well as speaking the truth in love when necessary. We're also to have all do this through wisdom, through singing of psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. That out of the overflow of who God is and what he's done in our lives, we cannot help but want to sing. We cannot help but want to lift up his voice through psalms, which are the book, you know, the book of 150 psalms in the Bible. 
hymns, which one definition I heard was just giving specifically praise songs to God, or songs of the Spirit, which are songs that can teach, um, talk about salvation or important things like deliverance or joy, but they may not specifically be the Psalms that are God breeds in this in the Bible. They're not hymns that are purely um, songs of praise. They are songs that um, still point us to God, but they may not specifically be one of those. Warren Wearsby, I think, has an interesting definition of how he describes the difference between uh, psalms, songs, or excuse me, songs of the Spirit and hymns. He talks about how psalms, again, are psalms from the Bible. That, that's not disputed. He defines hymns as being songs of praise sung to God, whereas he defines songs of the Spirit as being songs that we sing to one another about God. So to give an example, a hymn, in his definition, would be how great thou art. Singing about how great you are, God, and talking how great thou art. The song, the you is clearly God, and the song is a praise to God. According to his definition, an idea of a song of the Spirit would be a song that we sing together about God, would be more like how great is our God, which is from Chris Tomlin. Notice the difference. They're both talking about God's greatness. One, speaking direct, singing directly to him. One is, everybody, sing with me. How great is our God in doing that together? So that's an example of a spiritual song, according to Wearsby's definition. And then verse 17, we choose to do whatever we do in the name of Jesus Christ, for his glory, for his kingdom, and to witness towards to, for others to know who he is through our words and how we and sharing our faith and through our actions by serving the world. And so we choose to do whatever we do for him. And these are, you know, these are several things that you know, just kind of list. So when you say, hey, what do you do as a Christian? Well, um, I, I try to live a life of peace. I try to be thankful. I have time in God's word so that it can dwell within me. I pray. I'm able to be in community with other people. I'm able to sing songs. And I try to do my best to commit whatever I can to God and for his glory. And that's awesome. And those, that's, that describes just a few of the things. That's not all-encompassing. That's a few of the things that, that we can talk about that we do and what we do um, for it. But why we do what we do is what defines us. So again, we want to take a moment to look at why. What's the why behind what we do what we do or why we do what we do? So in order to explain this, I'm going to take a couple minutes here to be able to um, give you a little bit of a lesson from a man named Simon Sinek, who's a um, leadership consultant, thought leader. I mean, he's uh, really great. He did a TED Talk um, in 2009 talking about why businesses succeed, which became a book that he wrote called Start With Why. So I'd recommend that book if you're interested. Um, it's written in a business context, but we're going to see how we can apply some of his principles to um, our faith and what that looks like. So in his business concept, he talks about something called the golden circle. And the golden circle talks about three concentric circles with what being the outer ring, how being the second ring, and why being right kind of in that bullseye. And here's what he talks about is when he comes to an organization that all organizations know what they do. So if you're a restaurant, you know that you make food, right? You serve people food. If you are a car company, you make cars. If you're a computer company, you make computers. If you're an engineer, you are really smart. And I don't even know all the things that you do, but it's awesome. So you engineer things, but you know, we know what we do. What distinguishes people from, you know, one restaurant from another, one car company from another, one computer company from another is how you do it. Do you do it as you, cause you want to emphasize quality. And so it's a little bit more expensive, but you want to emphasize quality. Do you emphasize 
um, economy or, or, or rather affordability, I should say. Do you want it to be a little bit cheaper to reach more people or whatever, but it's not the quality is gonna be the same. So how you do it is important. So he gives the example this way, that most companies would say, we, brought the, we, we created this brand new car. Um, it's got incredible miles per gallon. Uh, it's got a V8 engine. And uh, it's really, like, we, make it, we made a great car. How we did it is we wanted to emphasize safety and we wanted to emphasize fuel economy. That's how we did it. Do you want to buy this car? And so it's like, yeah, may maybe, I don't know. Like you kind of explain what you do and you did say how you're different than others, but it's not as inspiring. He gives an example of Apple. He said, um, Apple, again, this was written, or sorry, this was uh, filmed about 11 years ago. So um, Apple was, you know, really just starting off, uh, started with phones, but hasn't gotten into everything it's doing now. But what he said is that Apple, um, if Apple were most companies, here's how they would go through the golden circle, how they would market or advertise it. First, they'd start with the what. They say, we make great computers. That's the what that they do. The how would be, we make them beautifully designed, simple to use, with user-friendly. Do you want to buy our computer? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if I want a good computer that's easy to use, yeah, maybe, maybe I will consider an Apple computer. Here's what he says what Apple actually does. And what he talks about here is this idea that they start with why, so hence the name of his book. They start in the center and they explain it because starting from the why creates inspiration. Starting from the what is just information. And so what he says is if you start from the why, then here's how Apple would start from the why, for example. He said our why, Apple's why, the reason is that in everything we do, we challenge the status quo. We want to do things new. In fact, in everything we do, we think differently. If you can think back about a decade, one of Apple's slogans was think differently. And so he said, we think differently. How do we do that? Because we want to make sure that our products have a beautiful uh, interface, that they're simple to use, and that they're user friendly. They're beautifully designed and user friendly. What we do? Well, we happen to make great computers. Do you want to buy one? And his point is that if you are someone who likes to think differently, you get caught up in that vision, in the why they exist. So then that's how people become like Apple people, like they just want Apple products because there's something about them that they say that resonates with me. And so that's why he explains, people are more willing to, when they understand who Apple is, they're more willing to buy phones from Apple. Because again, this was 11 years ago that iPhone was starting, but not, you know, not as much as it is now, but still big, of course. Um, that's why they would buy iPods. Again, remember those. Um, that's why they would buy TVs from people. Right now, in our current day, that's why some people might do um, Apple TV Plus and be able to um, get shows from people. It's because they, the, the, the what they do isn't what defines them. The why is what defines them. And so that's an important thing for, for them. In fact, the way he summarizes it really well in his book is that people don't buy what you do. People buy why you do it. So if our main point today is that what we do describes us, how we do it distinguishes us, but why we do it defines us. What does the golden circle have to do with our section in Colossians? What, what does that mean for us and um, what it looks like as we talk about our faith, as we share our faith? How can we use some of the, the um, ideas shared here when speaking with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet? Because here, here's what it would look like for Christians um, is that if we were to start from the what, this would be like saying our actions describe what we do. 
hey, if you want to be a Christian, guess what we, what we get to do? We get to pray to God, and it's wonderful. We get to have a quiet time. We, we sing songs. We meet in small groups. We um, pray a lot. We're able to do all these things. These are all incredible things. I'm not, again, clearly I'm not taking anything negative about these things. But if you say, hey, what do you do as a Christian? Oh, we read, we pray, we, we get in small groups, we take communion, we, we worship God, we sing to God. This is, we share about him, we serve. That's what we do. So our actions describe what we do, and we saw many of those actions through verses 15 through 17. In fact, we could say every action, if you look at verse 17, whatever we do, we want to do for the glory of God um, and giving thanks to him. Then how do we do it? Well, it's our attitudes that distinguish how we live. This goes back to the how. Well, we live with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness or gentleness and patience and bear for one another and we forgive one another. It, it, it describes what makes us different from other people. And so, you know, we could say, hey, if you want to become a Christian, pretend, you're talk pretend I'm talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus and says, hey, do you want to... I, you know, as a Christian, I, I get to read, I get to pray, I get to spend time with, with people who know God, and we sing songs. And you know what? I get to be different because now I, I'm compassionate, and I'm more kind, and I'm, uh, hum, I'm humble and patient. Do you want to become a Christian? You know, they might say, yeah, I mean, that sounds really interesting. Some might say, well, that's kind of information about what you do, but why do you do it? Well, what's the impetus, what's, excuse me, not the impetus, the catalyst behind this change in your life? Because some of us, some of the hardest people to reach are the ones who knew us in our old life, right? And so it's, hey, I knew how you were, and I see how you are. Why did you change? Don't just tell me the what you've done. They're important. Again, not saying they're not. But don't just give me what you've done. Give me why you do it. And so we look here and say, why? Do we do that? Why, why do we do what we do? Why do we do these things where we have spiritual disciplines and devotions we do and worship together? And, and why do we have different attitudes towards life? Because if we get stuck in the what and the how, then that can throw off things. And especially in the season with COVID-19, if we only look at the summation of our faith as being the what we do, then this is a radically uh, difficult time for us. If we think of our faith as being we go to church and we sing out loud, and that's all it is. Those are vital parts. Please do not mishear me. But if we say that's all our faith is and that's what we do, but it hasn't penetrated how we live and it doesn't point to our why, then of course this time is going to be difficult because we're not able to do the things that have become so important of what we do in our faith. And so even when churches are coming back, I know churches that have come back and they're not having any singing at all. I know some churches that the band is singing, but the congregation uh, can reflect and enjoy, but not sing. And I know churches that are um, having singing, but the, everyone in the congregation has to keep wearing their masks. And it's all because singing is such a highly contagious activity that um, it's one of those things that you know, we really need to evaluate. So, if we thought that singing was the only way we have our relationship with God, it's the only what that describes why we live, then that is going to say, well, we're angry about it and we're upset. But if the why we live, if part of the why we live is to be a good neighbor, to love our neighbor, to serve one another, and to put others' needs above our own, then perhaps the why of loving our neighbor by not um, risking infection, even people who are asymptomatic, spreading that to those who would have symptoms and could be affected and could potentially die, then we recognize, okay, it's 
what I want to do is sing. And I love singing with you. I love hearing your voices. I love one of my favorite moments in a service on a Sunday morning is when I'm upstairs and I'm singing, my eyes are closed. And after Steph has dropped off the girls, she walks up next to me and I hear her start to singing next to me. It's one of my favorite things about a Sunday morning service to worship together. So I'm not, again, downgrading that, but that's not all that we do. It's not why we live as Christians. It's one of the important aspects. So what is our why? Why do we do it? And this question takes us back to verse 12 that we started off with. If you notice, there's a few verses, a few words in the beginning that I didn't unpack as thoroughly as I did others. And those words specifically come from uh, verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. See, our why is because God loves us so much, that we are holy, which is the word for being set apart, that we are not to look like the world in our old ways. We are to be set apart and brand new and made whole and washed clean. And we are holy and dearly loved by God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, that because our identity is found in who Jesus is and his love for us, that we are able to, out of the overflow of being known as the beloved of God, chosen by him, loved by him, set apart for a good purpose by him, then we are able to know that that's why, that's why we put on love and have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we meet in groups. That's why we teach one another. That's why we're taught. That's why, because our identity in Christ defines our why. So if I were speaking to someone, and maybe some of you here don't know Jesus yet, and so instead of starting with the what, the actions we get to do as Christians, and then going to the how, let let me share it this way. If we were to start with why, and to be able to share this way. You know, with a lot of things going on and with uh, many of us find our identity in our jobs, many of us through the COVID-19, we've lost jobs. Many of us find our identity in what we own and so the, and the money we have and the stock market's been crazy. Unemployment again has, has skyrocketed. Maybe we find our identity in what other people think of us, but right now we're so frustrated and exhausted that we don't even have an, op- an, an opportunity to connect with people Maybe we find our identity in doing good things and we feel like we can't do anything well anymore. You know, if you're feeling right now that your identity, who you are, has been shaken to the core for this reason or for any other myriad reasons, what would it look like for you to realize that if your why, your purpose for living is that God loves you dearly? He wants a relationship with you. The creator of the heavens of the earth is so big that he holds a universe in the palm of his hand and yet he's so intimately close to you that he extends that loving hand to you in relationship. And your identity can then never be shaken. It can never be torn aside. Your identity in him is sealed tightly and your hope is anchored in him. What would it look like if you lived as one who was holy and dearly loved? How do you do that? Well, we have been changed by God to make a change in this world. And so we live with compassion to those who are hurting. That we have kindness and we want to do acts of kindness to people. We we are humble and put others' needs above our own. We are gentle and meek to, to use our power for the good of those who are powerless. That we are patient with one another. That we are able to bear one another, forgive one another. 
and to love one another, that we are known by our love. That's how we live and out of the overflow of who we are and why we exist through our identity in Christ, this is how we live and out of the overflow of how we live, guess what? We get to read our Bibles every day to learn more about how much God loves us. We get to pray to hear his voice, the voice that began all of creation is doing a new creation within us. We get to read more and to pray more and to encourage one another more and to sing about praises to our God who loves us so much. That's why we do what we do. Would you like to know Jesus? I'm not trying to sell you on Christ. It's not about people will buy what you do. They don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. I'm not trying to sell anyone on Christ because when we think of Jesus as a product, it feels itchy. Like we don't like it and I agree it, but so we're not trying to get you to buy a product. But as Christians, we know that there's metaphors throughout the New Testament, the Bible, but specifically the New Testament, in which Jesus talks not about a product that's man-made that feels marketed and things like that, but a what has been produced within us. So you go to the grocery store, the produce section, you know that's the fruit, that's the vegetables, that's the things that have been grown. And so Jesus talks about how a there's a good tree who bears good fruit. That's how you know that we're disciples, is by the fruit. He also talks about how if you remain in the vine, the branch will bear much fruit. So there's produce language. So I'm not trying to get someone to buy a product. I'm trying to see or let people see how God has produced a new person, a new creation in us. And that is the why. Because we're new creations. God has produced this in us. And we remain connected through his word, through worship, through prayer, through community, through small groups, through serving, through evangelism. We remain connected by what we do. But why we do it is because we can be dearly loved by God and our identities in him. So as we close today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer in a moment. And, and as we do, I'm going to close us in prayer and just... Um, Maybe invite some of you that maybe have heard about the gospel, maybe not for the first time, but maybe, or maybe you just heard it a little bit differently or something struck you today. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer for all of us and specifically prayer for you to be able to be able to answer the question, do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to have your identity in Christ? And if your answer is yes, then we can pray that together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for your word today that we could teach one another and be admonished and be taught. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. May we put on that love each and every day to, to whom, whoever we meet. I pray, Lord, that um, all of us would be able to look and see if we are compassionate or kind or humble or patient or, or bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Are we living out the how that distinguishes us, God? Are we being consistent in the what, our actions, that allow us to be closer to you through your word and through prayer and through fellowship, through um, worship? Are we doing the what, God? But, but I pray ultimately that we would all circle back to knowing that we could do everything for you, giving glory to, to you, God, through Christ Jesus, whatever we do in word or deed, because of the why, because you, Jesus, came down and you put our needs above your own, came from the rags or the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, to bear the burden so because we could not bear it, to be raised back to life and to invite us into new life with you. So Jesus, we thank you. And Lord, I pray right now that if there's anyone who's watching who has not found their identity in you and you alone, 
God, I pray that something that was said would be stirring in their hearts so that they would choose to pray this prayer with me. So if this is you, feel free to pray along and say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I realize that when my identity is in anything other than you, that it can be hurt or taken or destroyed. Only in you am I truly secure. I confess my sins. I confess that you are Lord. And I ask you to come into my heart now. I surrender my life. And I want to take upon myself the life that you have for me. I love you, Jesus, and I'm yours now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer right now, I just want to uh, celebrate with you. And, and I want to ask you to let us know uh, by clicking the live prayer button or by um, going on the website and let us know so we can come alongside you because we want to rejoice with you. We want to worship God and praise God with you and for your decision. And so please let us know how we could come alongside you. Um, and so maybe for you, this time of communion, if you just gave your life to the Lord, this time of communion has a new meaning for you. For those of us who've uh, followed Jesus for a while, we know that communion is our opportunity to take the bread that reminds us of Jesus's body that was broken for our sin. And we take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was poured out, that washes us clean, that makes us whole, that makes us get rid of the old life to put on the new life, the new creation. And we take those in remembrance of his sacrifice. So you can please feel free to partake in the bread and the cup as you feel led as we take a couple moments to take communion together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and we honor you now as we remember in this time of communion. Thank you for your love for us and help us to share that love with others so that more people can find their identity, their why in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again so much for joining us today and um, I just want to take an extra special moment to just thank all of you as well for continuing to um, join us on service, to, to be willing to share with one another, to meet in groups, and to continue to give. Um, as we know that there are people across this world um, who are being impacted by your generosity through our missionary partners and um, missionaries that we work with, as well as ministry happening here uh, as well. And so thank you so much for your generosity. Um, and we know right now that the world needs people who love God to stand up and to be an example and to uh, be generous, to serve, to love, to be compassionate. The world needs Jesus. So thank you for partnering with us and for being such an incredible church of which I'm an honored to be part of. So thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, know that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and may he grant you his peace. God bless you all and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.